Welcome to the latest episode of the Jeff McAlino Podcast. Uh, thanks for joining me. Uh, got a uh, very smart guest, so we'll see how this one turns out. My guest today will be Adina Mignona, and I believe I'm pronouncing that right, or I'm going to have to come back and re-record the, uh, the intro after I talk to her, uh, because I am pre-recording this. So she is a physicist and astronomer by degree, but she's worked in the aerospace engineering and satellite industry as a software engi- a software and systems engineer uh, since the 90s. She also uh, loves science fiction. She wrote a science fiction uh, novel out on Amazon. Uh, it's the first book of her Robot Galaxy series. It's titled Crazy Foolish Robots. I'll put the link below. Uh, she also has a blog on her website and uh, a lot of combination of kind of science and science fiction type stuff uh, really keeps things interesting uh, on on there. So some fun reading and hopefully an intelligent discussion, at least on one side of the Zoom call. Um, hope you enjoy it. And hey, everyone do me a favor. Share it with a friend. Come on, help me out. Uh, I have the link uh, to the uh, Discover Pods of nomination form, which may be wrapping up or have wrapped up right around the time this one comes out. Um, but if it hasn't, click on that link and go vote for me for the best new debut podcast of 2021. You can put me in other categories if you'd like as well. Uh, but at least do that. And of course, main thing is subscribe wherever you're listening to this so that you get notifications when there's new episodes and you can download and or listen to them at your leisure. All right, without further ado, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Adina Mignona. All right, now as promised, I welcome Adino Mignona to the Jeff McAlino podcast. How are you? I'm great. How are you today? I'm very good. Uh, I'm uh, I'm a little intimidated because you uh, are are clearly going to be way smarter than me. So I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna just blame my beverage for any any stupidity that comes out of my mouth. I'll just say ah, I was drinking. Well, what's my excuse? Because you know I have my off moments. <laughs> <laughs> You can say you were talking to someone so dumb your brain shut down. It. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, that's the whole thing is I don't want to intimidate anybody. That, that's kind of what I want to do is want to, to tell people that, like, all this stuff is awesome and accessible to everybody, at least in some ways of just getting excited about, like, science and space and stuff. Shouldn't be intimidating. I, I, feel, <laughs> I don't want to scare anyone. Yeah, I feel like I, I'm not sure when in my life I, I went from being – uh, I was really into astronomy as a as a child. Um, in between wanting to be a Ninja Turtle when I grew up, mm-hmm. and wanting to be a cornerback in the NFL, which is even probably less realistic. Mm-hmm. Being a white cornerback in the NFL, it's probably more likely I transform into a ninja reptile. Um, but in between there, I wanted to be an astronaut, and I wanted to be the first man to step on Mars. Uh, <laughs> so I liked it for a while, but at some point. Uh, I, I no clue why in my probably early teenage years I just really got bored and didn't like science and now I'm 34 and I feel like only in the past few years I'm like science is kind of cool I, I feel like I missed a lot yes. right and, and I feel like this happens to a, a lot of people because I, I feel like everyone goes for that phase where they want to be an astronaut you know and then something happens and what, what happened and you know we're losing a lot of people to going into science and, and these things because something's happening and I want to explain to people that don't let it happen <laughs> or even if it did you know there's still you know there, there's still so much excitement there uh, and the industry the space industry and, and science needs people from like all walks of life and in all industries because you don't people don't realize how many you know we need like accountants you know, and having an accountant in my group that's excited about space is better than having in just an accountant. <laughs> right. Having like the my group's admin be excited about space is better than an admin. You know, like it takes everybody to make all this stuff happen, and and the more people who are excited and interested, that just makes it cool, like that much more fun and cool. 
Yeah, well, it's funny. I, growing up, uh, I wasn't really into science fiction type stuff all that much. But most of the people I knew who were didn't seem like they actually liked science. All that much. Like, they weren't big science students. They yeah. just liked Star Wars or Star Trek or, or yeah. whatever. Um, and I always thought that was weird, too. Like, you would think you'd be more interested in... Well, and, yeah, I went through a phase of that, too, which is really, really weird. So I'm, I'm a humongous Star Trek and, and Star Wars, like, geek. Uh, especially Star Trek. Star Trek is my, my, my base fandom. And I remember when I was, like, in college... Yeah, so I went to, like, conventions when I was in high school. And it was all cool. It was all good. Then in college, I started going to conventions. But in college was when I was actually doing engineering. I was, I was working, doing space stuff. And a lot of the people that I went to conventions with or, or encountered, they were not in the industry. And I was very confused because I thought, well, this is what everyone should be doing. They should be going into the field to try to make this real. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I did actually stop going to conventions for a while because I just, I, I don't know. Um, and again, nothing nothing wrong with these were perfectly nice, wonderful people. But I just didn't then connect to them as much as I, I did. Uh, on the flip side of that was kind of funny because when I got into the industry after college, um, so I worked for my first year after college, I worked at Goddard Space Flight Center. I was an opera satellite operator. And I, I worked with other people who were also fairly new out of college. They were all kind of like young uh, geeks and everything like that. But then uh, a year after I started working at the, this engineering company, um, we, we built satellites. And I was expecting to get there and I was expecting that all these people there, they are also all diehard Star Trek and Star Wars fans. Nope. <laughs> I was like the only one. I'm like, I'm like, I'm so confused. Why is there such a a, a difference? Although, the CEO of that company, uh, so that this was a company called Orbital Sciences Corporation that eventually became a company, Orbital ATK, and then we were bought by Northrop Grumman. But the original CEO, he was a Star Trek fan, and I've actually was able to talk to him a few times about it. In fact, I have a blog post uh, talking about uh, how I work on warp drive. Because the name of the road that I work on is Warp Drive. Oh, <laughs> uh, and, and so we talked about how uh, we got the he got the road like renamed and, and everything. And we have a uh, an airplane uh, that's part of the company, and the, the name of the airplane is Stargazer. And Star Trek fans might know Stargazer from it was Captain Picard's first ship, and so Stargazer was deliberately named after after that because he was a you know a Star Trek fan. So there there were there were definitely people. But it was not as, like, I thought it was going to be everybody. <laughs> um, it's weird. That's yeah. interesting. And I, I, that was something I was going to ask you about, too, because I'm. I, it just seems like an odd dichotomy amongst, like, you'd think it would be one community, mm -hmm. basically, where even yeah, the... <laughs> yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, I... I uh, I, I, well, you, you I, I did watch Star Trek a little bit as a kid, so I know awesome. some of the basic stuff with Star Trek. Star Wars, I tried watching as a kid. I thought it was horrible. Wow. I forced myself to watch them as an adult. It took me about nine times to get through it because I kept falling asleep during the mm -hmm. third movie, I think it was, especially. Mm -hmm. um, Return of the Jedi, I think it was. Yeah. And I, yes. I told the... Star Wars people I know, I'm like, well, the the newest movies are the best ones, so they basically excommunicated <laughs> me, because I'm like, well, I think it's just because the graphics are better, probably. I wasn't following so, the story. <laughs> yeah, you're a little bit more like my husband, who's not really, um, he's not a big science fiction fan, and he has a hard time watching the older stuff, because of the, you know, the effects and, and things. He looks at back and he's like, oh my god, this is this is terrible. But, you know, so I think I'm, I'm, a, I'm a few years older than you. You said your age a minute ago. I'm a few years older. <laughs> so, I mean, I was a kid watching uh, watching the original Star Wars movie, and I was just completely in love with the robots, you know, R2-D2, C-3PO. Um, so, no, I loved Star Wars. I loved Empire Strikes Back. Return of the Jedi was probably the first one of those I saw in the theater. I was I was eight when that came out, eight or nine, so I was allowed to go and see that one in the theater. Uh, no, I so I grew up completely loving that stuff. Now, again, I watch it now, and now I, I see how cheesy it is in some ways. <laughs> but there is some dialogue that I'm I'm almost I'm yeah almost a little bit embarrassed about. But but still, the the overall concepts uh, and and the robots. I love the robots. 
I, I think, and I was reading uh, your blog post about, you were talking about robots and satellites and stuff, and it got me thinking, and I think you had said in there your favorite of all time was Data from Star Trek, mm-hmm. um, yeah. who I, I think is a brilliant character and, and all that, too. Um, I always, I, 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 I wrote down a note just while I, was, while I was reading that. I'm like, it's interesting. There are some, the, the R2-D2s and the Datas that are, are great, you know, uh, robots mm-hmm. seems most often, and you know more sci-fi than I do. Seems like most often, though, the robots end up always turning evil. Yes, <laughs> like it's it's. Sad. it's I, I, there's a Will Smith movie. I, I think it was called AI, but that might be another movie where robots. No, that's turn a different down. movie. The one that Will Smith was in was iRobot. iRobot, yes. yes. Yep. Uh, there's Ultron. Um, there's even the Pixar movie that I don't know that the robots were evil, but they really made humans into a slovenly, you know, Wally. Wally, yes, Wally. that was it. I wrote down Pixar. <laughs> I'm like I can't remember. And and the other thing, uh, I don't know if you watch Black Mirror. Mm-hmm. always seems to have a negative twist on where technology is going to take us. It almost never leads <laughs> to a bright place. It's always real dark, right. which I enjoy the right. show. But it's very interesting that I don't know if there's an inherent fear or if it's just easier for sci-fi to make the robots the enemy mm-hmm. uh, as opposed, uh, well, you know, obviously as opposed to something else being the enemy. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I think, right, there's a there's a a whole mix of things going on there because because one right if, if you're making you're making a movie you need it to be a good movie you're looking for drama and yes yeah, so you you know having the antagonists or antagonist or antagonists so so there's that um but yeah there there's definitely been a trend towards you know kind of like like the the whole dystopian or bad technology or things and I don't know exactly where that's coming from. Although, if you look back, it's—I think in sci-fi, there's always been an element of it. Uh, even back to you know the original Star Trek, there was uh, an episode called the Changeling, and it was a, a little satellite gone bad, <laughs> and it wanted to destroy everybody. Um, and it actually, <laughs> you know, did did kill a lot of people before they they stopped it. You know, so there's always been a little bit of it. But on the, the flip side, you know, Isaac Asimov had his three laws of robotics that he envisioned to help ensure that robots don't, you know, go and cause them up and, and everything like that. And then you have Data, who, why is Data inherently good? I mean, that, that's, a, that's a, you know, possibly a very interesting question. You know, anyone who's watched Star Trek Next Generation and knows the character Data, he is inherently good. Yes. But why? Well, and he also constantly, (laughs) if I remember correctly, he also wants to become more and more human throughout Mm -hmm. the show, right? Yeah. So he has some sort of AI that, and maybe that's what makes him good is because he was programmed that humans, Mm -hmm. even though I guess you could argue humans maybe aren't good, (laughs) but he was programmed at least with the the basis of his programming to be humans good, be more like humans Mm -hmm. Maybe, but, you know, the way they, you know, in any of the episodes and uh, movies where they, they do talk about, like, his origin and, you know, go back, they, they peel off his onion a little bit, it's almost like there, there wasn't that kind of deliberate programming. Like, okay, so I, I have kids, uh, you have kids, and raising them, especially in their young, like, toddler years, this is what we're doing. We're programming them. We're programming them to be decent human beings. At least we're trying. Hopefully we're trying. <laughs> right. Hopefully we're trying. You know, that, that's what we're, we're doing. But there was one interesting episode uh, where, where Data's mother appeared. Um, and so she has a lot of stories about what his, like, like, almost toddler years were like. And a lot of it was, you know, him behaving interestingly and such and but there wasn't a lot of that inherent programming like what we try to do with our toddlers. It, it's, it's interesting because it's almost like it just kind of sprang up from, it just sprang up. And then Data has his brother, Lore, which is not, he's not a good android. Right. <laughs> right. All. I do vaguely remember that. There, he, so yeah. so even, in, even in Star Trek where they made the robot the, I mean... Arguably the best person on that ship. Uh, they they did still have the evil version. Uh, 
is from from a science perspective uh where it seems like most of robotics and stuff are focused on more useful and frankly more intelligent areas like building satellites and stuff like that as opposed to building a a personalized butler uh or <laughs> i think of the nanny and the jetsons i'd love to have one of those mm-hmm. um how is there any real science that would ever make you think that in our lifetimes that like a data type robot would exist that could be a really functional human-like yeah so in our life that that's an interesting um like i guess delineation of time you know in our lifetime right so what we've seen from so there's two parts that make uh, a data-like robot possible there's like the physicality of it there's having something that has two legs and two arms and fingers and can manipulate stuff and uh, there's been an amazing amount of progress in that area. Like um, just recently, Boston Dynamics released some videos of a robot walking around. Uh, right. So I, I think that physicality aspect um, and, and seeing more and more of that in our lifetime, abs- absolutely. That that's you know there's been a lot of advancements, and I and I think that that's going to keep happening. The second aspect is the AI. It's the the brain, the problem solving, the reasoning, all that stuff. I think we're a bazillion years away from a data. I think we're close to, or we could be close to, say, um, Andrew Martin from Bicentennial Man. So Bicentennial Man was based, it was another movie, so it starred Robin Williams. Okay, it was yeah. based on another movie, but another book or a story by Isaac Asimov. And he starts out as, a, he's a robot butler. and the kind of commands and things he was able to do initially before he turned into something more, um, I, I think is reasonable. You know, get me a drink from the fridge, you know, vacuum. Those things are things that we could tell Alexa could, you know, if Alexa had the body, we could we could do that. But there's a level of problem sol- human-like problem solving where I'm not telling Data what to do, he's got to figure it all out for himself. I think we're a, a way, 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 way far enough. You know, like, um, again, another one of my blog posts was, I think I talked about this because I realized after having a couple kids, much easier to do it <laughs> with a little, you know, I can create intelligence by, you know, by breeding and creating another little human. Because um, doing it uh, in an artificial means, that it's, it's hard. And we don't, and partly because we don't completely understand how the brain works in these ways yet. Right, right. That's the uh, I, I, that, that that was my thought as an uneducated person yeah. is that it wasn't wasn't really realistic. the 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 closest <laughs> closest things not to be crude is going to be the sex robots that they have. <laughs> but yep. they also have yep. a specific function. I, I they have a spe- they're not problem solving. They are specific. <laughs> they solve a problem, but not not. Yes. Yeah, not not using intelligence. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so let me transition to uh, your book because yeah, you know we're book. talking about it. Crazy foolish robots. Um, how are the robots in that book? <laughs> they are good. In fact, I was told um, because I don't I don't want to read the reviews because you know just because I want I'm going to jinx myself. <laughs> but someone else told me that one one person at least one person pointed out that oh my gosh finally like the robots are not around killing everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, my robots are good in this book. Um, they're meant to be. They're meant to be fun. They're meant to be like a mix of like our, take all take all those good robots. Take R two D two. Take Wally and specifically Wally from from the Disney movie. Take you know Data. Take Beta Baymax from Big Hero Six. You know, oh, take right. all those good ones and smush them together, <laughs> and you have what 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 I've got in in Crazy Foolish Robots. Nice. Okay. Yeah. the The title made me think it probably wasn't about killer robots. No. <laughs> the uh, The other thing with with sci fi, uh, and this will lead to me probably. Uh, actually, you're you'd probably be the most qualified guest to hear this and tell me how <laughs> stupid it is. Um, <laughs> I have I have a a theory that I've discussed on the podcast with a few guests before. I call it my. I, it's not a scientific theory it's just planetary living sure uh and i i'm of the belief that planetary living is for the less intelligent species meaning that at a certain point 
not uh, again, not in our lifetimes. As mm-hmm. uh, the humans hopefully evolve, uh, I think. First of all, I think technology ends up fixing a lot of the environmental problems on Earth. So I, I don't think we're. I think we'll evolve before the Earth is uninhabitable. But I think we'll still find it more uh, productive or just intelligent to not live on a planet but build a specific space station that was immune to the problems that a planet has, you know, hurricanes, earthquakes, all that kind of stuff, um, and can travel around the universe. And, you know, we don't have a resource problem because you need a certain thing. You can get it from a certain moon or planet or, or whatever. So my theory long-term for humanity is that planetary living is is only a temporary thing if the species is going to last for millions of years as opposed to thousands or I don't know. So I have no science background in yeah. that theory. That's just a thought. No, that's, that's actually, that's actually pretty good. And I, I tell people I've got a, I've got a, it's similar. Um, but yeah, the idea is I don't think for, for true long, long, long-term survival of the species, uh, we, we can't stay here on earth. And, and let's say we fixed all the problems here. Let's say everything here is beautiful. It's wonderful. It's a paradise. We, we can't stay because it's a single point of failure. You know, our right. sun could go nova, an asteroid could hit us. You know, there are things that are truly 100% beyond our control that could happen. So we have to go somewhere else. But I, I think, though, we really need to find other Earth-ish like planets because I, I think uh, unless we built a space station that really looked like Earth inside, <laughs> right. um, I, think we, I think we are... Uh, by nature, we, we like nature. We like the outdoors. We, we need that. So I think we we need we need other planets is what we're going to need. So it's it's similar to what right. we were saying, yeah. but um, but a little different because I, I don't think you know I think the, the the spaceships and the space stations are kind of temporary means to an end, and it might even be where people have to spend hundreds of years on on spaceships to find those planets, but. I think those are means to the end, which is, yes, we, we have to be like a multi, we have to be everywhere if we're going to survive. Right. And yeah, I think in my, in my, in my thought, there would be people who do inhabit planets uh, and there would be people who didn't care for the nature and, you know, people who yeah, don't mind staying indoors 24, seven, right, It takes all types. <laughs> right. Right. And uh, so the one thing, or well, there's more than one thing. But from a science perspective, preventing that, I would assume the two major things are the durability of ships uh, mm-hmm. and the speed of travel. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why uh, when you <laughs> when you mentioned warp uh, drive earlier, I was just like, <laughs> I mean, you'd almost need that, wouldn't you? Or you'd be talking about you you get on a space station so your great great grandkids can live on a uh, you know Jupiter's moon or something. Right, right. So I, I'm definitely again beyond our lifetime optimistic, you know, like because I don't think anything's going to happen in the next couple day, decades. Uh, but I'm very optimistic that we're going to crack the nut on some form of faster than light travel or something that mimics faster than light travel. And by mimics, I mean like, like a wormhole, like we discover how to make a wormhole. So we're not really going fast, but we're, 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 it's the same effect. And and the reason I'm optimistic is because one, we can imagine it. If we can imagine it, we can start putting our brain power together and figuring it out. And two, if by analogy, we look at what we already can do, where you're somewhere in the United States, I'm somewhere else, where we're, we're pretty far apart, but we're, we're talking, we're having a real-time conversation due to technology that was not imagined a few hundred years ago, using like electromagnetic, you know, electricity and magnetism and all these things that when they were first discovered, you know, the people who first wanted to play around with it and try to be like, what is this? What do we do with it? Other people were like, why are you playing with that garbage? That's never going to do anything for me. You know, like it's, it's stupid, you know, like, so, you know, there's, we, we find fundamental things about physics and the universe. And then eventually and it could be a couple hundred years. They're put to good use. So like right now, you know, there are people investigating like subatomic particles, like quarks and all these crazy things, which on the surface, you're like, well, why, why, why do we care? You know, why are you doing that? Why are you wasting your time? Well, like 200 years from now, that might be the secret to everything. <laughs> you know, we don't know. And 
like I said, I, I use the analogy of we're having this real time conversation and we're nowhere near each other. <laughs> right. Which was, yeah, impossible like a couple hundred years ago. Right. Well, I think even yeah, when when Abe Lincoln was assassinated, I think it took weeks for some people to find out about it, as opposed to now everyone would know within 15 seconds. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, no, that's a and I like that, too, because I do. I uh, I've again, as I've gotten older, I, I started, you know, watching YouTube videos and stuff on and I can't couldn't explain it to to a toddler even but like <laughs> things like the multiverse theory mm-hmm. even before marvel started bringing that into their well into their movies i think they were in the comic books but besides the but <laughs> i i love watching videos like that and i don't know if that in particular has any value but again it might be a couple hundred years before the codes hey. crack but if there is something it's worth looking into <laughs> Yeah, I, I think every all, all these you know imagination, creative thoughts, um, you know, have value. It, it's one of the reasons why I really do love kind of both science and science fiction because I think they play off of each other. You know, where where science currently ends, well, that's where science fiction can pick up, and maybe that leads us back to figuring out more things about science. You know, like it's it all kind of goes together, which is why I'm like I am still surprised that more people. <laughs> aren't living, you know, they're in one universe or the other, in science or science fiction, they're not in both. It's it's kind of weird, because I think they do feed off of each other um, pretty, really well. Yeah, but I would... Multiverse is fun to think about, too. <laughs> yeah, I, well, and I would think that sometimes science fiction could actually drive motivation for someone to make a real scientific discovery, because mm-hmm. this was really fascinating in a movie, so this whole concept, yeah. I want to dig into it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that maybe not super, super, super directly, but, you know, a lot of technology that we have today, you know, was was showcased in science fiction 40, 50 years ago. Again, I'll use Star Trek as an example. Um, Captain Kirk's, you know, flip phone communicator and, well, look, look what we carry now in the phones. <laughs> you know, um, just being able to speak to a computer, you know, computer, say something, you know, like, where am I? You know, whatever, whatever that is. Um, so I think... I think that already exists, at least, tech, you know, science, maybe not, but technology, certainly. Yeah, I, I do think, um, and this this would probably be well outside your uh, area of study. One thing I, I long, long story, uh, but basically I had a dream that was very realistic, that I was abducted by aliens, and... Uh, while I was up there, one of the things I distinctly remember was they said you, you can eat or drink anything you want. Our, uh, basically, a, their Star Trek replicator mm-hmm. uh, can make the food, and what you eat is the most healthy, nutritious thing, no matter what it tastes like. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, boy, that would be real good on Earth if they could mm-hmm. figure out a way to make, hey, this tastes like a pepperoni pizza, but it's really mm-hmm. broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> far away from that too i mean we hide all kinds of vegetables and all kinds of food these days for one but but 3d printers think about 3d printers yeah 3d printers are like early generation replicators in fact uh, you know so i have one because i'm that kind of a geek and nerd and i have to have those things and and those of us in the community a lot of us who are also star trek fans call our (laughs) 3d printers replicators (laughs) because well that's what that's what i'm doing right is i'm replicating something and i can print it and print it and print it (laughs) Yeah, and hypothetically, I would think there could be a way to, I mean, because that's mostly with what, plastics, right? Mm-hmm, yep. There probably could be a way to figure out a way to actually do that with some sort of food, isn't it? Yes. Right? Um, I have seen people do it with chocolate. Uh, also, there is a company out there that does it with gummy vitamins. They 3D print gummy vitamins. I may or may not buy these vitamins because I like the thought of having 3D printed vitamins. (laughs) I might have to get those because I only can take vitamins with the gummies because I'm a grown man who still gags when I try to swallow pills half the time. (laughs) I just like that it feels like I'm taking, I'm having candy. (laughs) Just a little little bit of candy. (laughs) Yeah, and it's it's like, it's one gram of sugar. It's not going to kill me. (laughs) Yep. Um, 
to my most realistic childhood uh, goal, more than Ninja Turtle or cornerback in the NFL, was going to Mars. Mm-hmm. Seems a little bit like, and I remember the Mars rover in the 90s when I was a kid. That was an exciting thing. Seems like the space travel really has been pulled back until until recently. Um is there? Do you think there's still an advantage to trying to go to Mars at all? Is there? Is there oh, still? It, yeah, I mean, just just to become like more of a spacefaring like people. I mean, we we have to do it because it'll. We're going to learn so much, you know, just for the experience of just learning how to how to survive on a journey like that, how to survive on the surface. You know, obviously, we have demonstrated we can get to Mars. You know, we can send equipment to Mars. But having a person survive the journey or a group of people survive the journey and, and survive, that's a, that's a different, like a, a, another level of complication. Because, <laughs> you know, humans, we're not, we are not built to survive <laughs> in space or on Mars. So um, ab- absolutely, you, you will learn so much. Uh, and, and hopefully we'll be able to learn things that can help us back here, you know, additional technology that needs to get developed, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, yes, there's, there's definitely value in doing it. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah the... Um... I I think, and again, you'll know more than me, it seems like, uh, especially Elon Musk and now some of the other billionaires are mm-hmm. having these space things, um, and I, I know some people are skeptical about motivations and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. I feel like, at least with, with Elon Musk's stuff, wanting to explore, I feel like it's kind of given some inertia back to space travel, which mm-hmm. didn't seem to exist for I don't know, more than a decade at least, I would say. I don't yeah. know if you're more of an insider in that than I well, am. <laughs> I mean, I think it all depends on your perspective. So, you know, in addition to, to space travel being kind of, you know, hard, it hard means it takes money. Yeah, <laughs> it's really. Mm-hmm. So I'm, like, completely thrilled that, that Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and, and uh, Paul Allen, Allen they're, they're all, like, these billionaires willing to put their own money into this. That, that to me, is just, is just amazing. Uh, for so many reasons. Well, one, you know, like, obviously, I love space. So seeing someone want to spend a lot of money on something that I love, I mean, that, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, might that be great for people who love the opposite of, what's the opposite of space? Facebook? Like, yeah. <laughs> well, I feel like that's yeah. the, the, the bifurcation of, uh, of science. It's supercomputers where they they drive for like the Facebook Twitter type things which uh-huh. I think are they have their good things <laughs> but I think are net bad for society and space yeah. travel I don't see a bad mm-hmm. in there yeah it's so, not as profitable so, um, right again if they they you know one it's, it's their money they can do whatever they want with it so I, I'm right. thrilled that they're that this is what they're doing I'm thrilled that they've been able to make um dem- Demonstrate. I can't even talk to this afternoon. They they've been able to demonstrate progress in a relatively short period of time. I think that's been very important. You know, um, I, I don't think Elon Musk has completely hit all the deadlines he set exactly, but he's been close enough. It's not like he said, "Oh, I'm going to do this," and then a decade later, you know, it's no. He he's been able to do this and in a reasonable period of time accomplish what he set out to do. I think that's actually important because it shows it really. If you put your mind to it, if you put your resources to it, it can be done. And I, I think that's really important to demonstrate that. And, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, kind of like the desire for, for space travel and for humans in space ha- has always been there. Um, NASA and, and the international community keeping the ISS going, the International Space Station, that's been important because that has been a fantastic, you know, research. It's a laboratory in space. So the fact that that's been ongoing, the fact that that, um, from what I understand, you know, it was originally supposed to be decommissioned a while ago, and they've, they've kept it going to keep the laboratory going, you know, so it's, we've been about, you know, doing what we can fund, I guess. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see it all kind of now, right, like, kind of like, pun intended, take off. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, the industry is definitely a different place than it was when I started, when I, when I joined it back in the, I graduated from college in 1997. And it's a different place. Uh, it's a very, very different place now. It's very exciting. Yeah, the uh, Elon Musk, I, I believe, if I, if my knowledge is correct, which it very well might not be, but part of his, 
part of his goal was to be able to return the ships back so they weren't just taking off and basically part of it was crash landing into the ocean as yep. its return. And I think that long term is the one of the most significant issues that needs to be overcome because you can't spend billions of dollars on a one-time use space mm-hmm. craft over and over and yeah. over again. I mean, and I assume a a legitimate rocket ship would cost over a billion dollars still and <laughs> yeah yeah and well I, I guess like i said that i think the, the the biggest thing is the fact that he did what he said he was gonna do mm-hmm. i think that that should not be underestimated <laughs> i think that's really important so it's just so exciting and yeah and then having you know i don't know if you followed the inspiration for mission that was recent that was sending pretty much just normal people uh, yeah. in the space of that 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 was fabulous too and again, the whole concept, yep, we're going to do this, did it, you know, done, um, is is fantastic. Well, and I've heard, uh, because speaking of technology, one thing I, I think science fiction, the, the thing of, of all things that jumps out to me off the top of my head that seems the most unrealistic to ever be accomplished mm-hmm. is like the transportation device mm-hmm. uh, where you automatically go from one place to another. Um, but, uh, but what I've heard for travel, you could travel across the globe by taking a ship up to the atmosphere and just drop landing somewhere. I don't know how that all works again, but I've heard you could basically travel the globe in, in less than an hour by, by doing that anywhere you yeah. want. And it's like, well, that's substantial, obviously yep. way too expensive for the average show to, to even consider, today. but <laughs> today. today, right, right. But I think that's, it's like, well, so that shows that. You know, maybe it can't be instantaneous. You beam from a ship to a to a planet's surface, but you get there pretty damn fast if you know what you're doing. Right, right. And I, I personally won't say that any technology is impossible because, again, if you had told people, imagine like plopping yourself down 400 years ago and telling people you're going to have a face to face conversation with someone across the planet. You know, like <laughs> they would have burned you at the stake for being like a witch. They it was just you know could not they would not have been able to conceive of that. And here we are doing it. So I won't claim any crazy technology, no matter how weird it is. I'm never going to say it's impossible because I, I don't know. But transport technology, what really just hurts my head. Um, I listened to, there is a wonderful book, um, is on the, the philosophy of science fiction. It was like called Sci-Fi, P-H-I, S-C-I-P-H-I by Dr. David... Johnson, I think is his name. Um, it was one of the great courses, so I listened to it on, uh, yeah, as an audiobook. And yeah, he has a he had a, a chapter devoted to that. And the crazy thing is, though, are you you? Is it you that's being and, and that that hurts my head so much, and it, that's what scares me. Like, am I me or am I am I a replicant of me? Like, what am I if I do that? Um, so whether or not it's possible, like, and again, maybe it is like these things might be possible, and then we have these big ethical or philosophical, moral things that we got to deal <laughs> deal with. That's that's the uh, yeah. Well, and it's uh, again, I I didn't watch much Star Trek, but I remember Scotty. I want to say, did, well, but he didn't like being transported himself because the science McCoy. behind it, right? Oh, McCoy, McCoy. okay, like yes, yeah, I mean, and and then they've had got a the character of, wrong, but. yeah. Well, no, and then they they've had a they've since then like had a little shtick of like doctors not liking it, like Doctor Pulaski. She was the doctor in the second season of Next Generation. She also like didn't like it. Yeah, so they've they've right. But they, but they did it. You know, Dr. McCoy still did it. He complained about it because it made for good, you know, funny comedy, comedy about that. But right. he did it. <laughs> well, that's the uh, – uh, you always need to create some sort of tension and drama. That's yes. what I, – I watched Apollo 13 with my – I have an 11-year-old daughter and an 8-year-old son. Mm-hmm. My daughter gave up on the movie, which I, I don't necessarily blame her. It's not the most – exciting movie for a kid I would say my eight-year-old stuck through it even though he was confused and he had he's like well of course they survived I'm like you know that's based on real life right and he's like no I didn't know that (laughs) he's like so that all happened I'm like I'm sure not all of it happened exactly the way that they've shown it on screen but I haven't done my research but I'm sure there were dramatic things added that did not happen 
the, the technical details were pretty accurate. I, I think we're pretty accurate. Um, you know, I'm sure all the conversations and, you know, especially the conversations on the ground, especially with like the wives, you know, because things that weren't necessarily recorded, you know, yeah. but, but the technical details of what happened, uh, I think were, were, were pretty accurate. And I think what was happening in Mission Control Center, that that was a pretty accurate representation. I loved, I'm glad I rewatched that movie because I hadn't mm-hmm. seen it in years, but I'm trying to show my kids all of the good mm-hmm. old movies. Awesome. Uh, <laughs> and that, I feel like that movie should be like number one in showing like kids in school because the thing I loved was when they had to get the uh uh filtration system I think it was they had to get a a square to fit in a in a circle or whatever it was Uh, Mm um but they laid out everything that was on the ship and said you need to make this fit into this this is what you got figure it out Mm -hmm. and that moment which I think probably gets under appreciated that's that should be what like the basis of school (laughs) almost like here's a problem you got to figure it out. Here's what you got. Figure something out. Well, and then there you go. There's your Android intelligence test. You, you know, that's how you know if you've actually got an AI <laughs> that is really good or not. Can they can they problem solve like that? Data could. Alexa can't. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I don't think most humans can. <laughs> now. Well, okay. That, that that's true too. Yeah. Well, yeah. but I. Th- but it, yeah, it, interface and. and, and Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I I wish, uh, you know, and I my son now goes to a gifted school where they've really amped up the experimentation with science and stuff like that, which is great. Um, but I wish that they approached that that way in school because I think then you would have more scientists mm-hmm. coming yeah. out if you made it a, a jump in, innovate, create mm-hmm. a solution to this problem kind of uh, thing instead of sitting in a classroom and memorizing. I I feel like a lot of it's just like trivia. Like, what's the biggest planet? Well, uh, you know, know, it's easy to memorize those things, but that's not functional science. That's just facts. It's not. not. Yeah, and and I I definitely, uh, you know, and I do like to actually tell people this because, you know, a lot of times people think of people who, who go and get degrees in physics and astronomy as like we're like straight A students. I was never a straight A student. I was a terrible student. Now, I was like an honors AP student. I was actually in the gifted and talented program, but especially through the honors AP stuff in junior high and high school, my grades were to the frustration of myself and my parents, like we're all over the map. <laughs> like I'd start out strong and then I'd, I'd completely go like in all crazy directions and with my grades. Um, but some, but somehow, you know, I, I made it through and I went to, I got very lucky that I, I went to the University of Maryland, which is a really good school for a lot of things, including physics. And even still, my grades were all over the map. <laughs> I, you know, I'd have an A here, but I'd have a D here. <laughs> and I mostly made it through because, uh, especially, you know, physics is because I loved it, you know, so much. I was able to, to get myself through, um, especially after a, a pretty pretty first year. Um, but I was very project oriented and like hands-on oriented and, uh, to some degree like self-guided. Um, and I guess I, I didn't really figure this out, you know, until I was older and, and later where, you know, the problem with my grades was like, if I wasn't interested in the material, the day they were teaching it, I couldn't focus. Uh, and there's nothing anyone could do to get me to focus you know but if, if I was interested if it was a topic I wanted to learn about oh I was I was all in and I was the best student like and and it started to manifest I started to start to figure it out like like senior year like so we had um and so this might be like for anyone you know has kids and wondering what to do you like their kids are not <laughs> doing well yeah. uh, but they're not but they're smart and you're frustrated because you're, you know your kid is smart but then for some reason they're not doing well and trying to figure out why so like my senior year, we had to do an English class, uh, we had to write a thesis, and we were supposed to pick a book of contemporary American literature. And so there is typically like a whole handful of books that were, you know, used. And I can't now remember any of them because I, I, contemporary American literature is not my thing. But I went to the, my professor, I was like, well, can I do this book? It's uh, The Left Hand of Darkness by Ursula Le Guin. So it's a science fiction book, but... By all other accounts, it's contemporary American. She's contemporary, at least this is 30 years ago, um, and she's American, so it fits. And he said, even though it was not a, a book that they would you know, normally do, he said, he said, sure, go do it. And, well, I did, and I got the best grade in the class. 
you know, and that was when I, I think I start again, I, I couldn't articulate it like I can now, but that was when I started to realize if I was invested in what we were doing, you know, and I, it had to come from me, it couldn't come from anyone else, it had to come from me, then, then no problem. So, yeah. <laughs> And I don't know how that. I felt like I just went off on a tangent with school. No, and, no, no. I, I, I that's that's exactly what. Um, uh, it, it, just in hindsight, and and I like in middle school, I had a great science teacher. We did a lot of lab experiments and all that stuff. But I feel like overall, in education, uh, especially with science, it it just becomes this. Uh, and and history, social studies stuff can mm-hmm. slip into this realm too, where it it doesn't really engage your brain. It just prepares you for who wants to be a millionaire. Yes, or <laughs> well, you know what engages your brain is then uh, musicals like Hamilton. Like I had zero interest in Revolutionary War history until Hamilton came out. When Hamilton came out, I devoured every major book. <laughs> <laughs> I read the I read the the Hamilton biography that it was based off. I read the Washington biography by the same author, and then like I read this book called 1776, and then I read Washington Spies and all these other ones, and like poof, like in a way that yeah never would have happened any other way. No, I think that's uh, I think that's true too because I've done a lot of times even to like I'll watch a. a uh, mini series or whatever. Like they had one with John Adams years mm-hmm. ago, but I didn't watch it that long ago. But when I watched it, I'm like, now I need to go research how much of this yes. was accurate and what's not accurate. Yeah. And um, yep. as long as they say somewhat on the truth train, mm-hmm. I think those are good too. <laughs> yeah, actually, and Hamilton was really good. And my son was interested in it too. We listened. So my oldest is also 11, and and we listened to it and. And he knows, and he knows a little bit more about. He probably knows more about American history at his age than I did when I was his age because of because of it, and because you know, even though he didn't read the books, he knew I was, and so then I would. So then the next time we listened to it, I would point out, oh, and by the way, this actually happened, or it happened in this way. You know, I would tell him all the the things. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, and one thing I also think is helpful and. So far, I found it more helpful with history than science, but there is some science too. There's a lot of like YouTube videos for kids mm-hmm. that are songs. Like my son, at the age of four, I want to say, had memorized all of the U.S. presidents because it was mm-hmm. a fun YouTube video, and there, it just you know, a, <laughs> there are science ones too. There's a fun YouTube video on the periodic table of elements. Mm. It's a song. I don't know how the song goes. I do know most of the <laughs> I don't know how the song, but there is a song for that. So so send give give him that. But yeah, there's all kinds of there's all kinds of fun YouTube uh, stuff for science too, and yeah. experiments you can do in your kitchen and yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the only way. My daughter, who's who's on the spectrum, but you wouldn't know it from a casual mm-hmm. interaction, if that makes sense. Um, the only way she's ever been in, interested in anything science is like you'd get her like chemistry sets that you can buy mm-hmm. on Amazon or in toy stores or whatever. And just, you know, you, your hands on doing something. Yeah. And she yeah. loves doing that. But she does yes. not want to sit down and be. Yeah. And, and yeah. learn. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Well, I, I mean, again, from pro, I think you learn more from from those projects. So get get her more. Just get get. Get her more. Yeah, I need to. I need to start stepping them up. <laughs> get her. Get her to build. Uh, get her to build robots and stuff. Mm-hmm. Make a make a maid for my house. Yeah. Well, this is one of the reasons why I'm. I'm actually not too upset that my my older son spends a lot of time in Minecraft because he spends most of his time building stuff and he's learned how to program and 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 all that. So, and honestly, I would have done the same thing when I was a Jade. I would have. I would have. Would have gone crazy for that stuff. <laughs> that stuff. Well, I do think there's a stigma around screen time uh, mm-hmm. from a parenting perspective. It's like, I gotta limit their screen time. It's like, but, like, he'd be reading a book about sports, which is fine, but, like, he's playing a game that's actually making him think, which mm-hmm. is arguably just as good or better. Yeah, <laughs> yep. we, str- we totally struggle with the screen time thing here, especially because it's really hard because I, I am literally on screens all day, every day, you know, for, for my job and then for my, you know, activities and stuff like that. So right. <laughs> it's really hard to be like, 
get off the screen. But mom, what are you doing? I'm like, well, yeah, I'm on the screen. You know, so it really is is hard. So right, trying to make sure, right, what is he doing on the screen um, first, right. and and still making sure he does, you know, get off and go play with his friends sometimes, <laughs> which he does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's an interesting balance, but I do. Uh... I did quickly learn that they, they just generally they cannot have more than X amount of screen time per day. I mean, unless they it's, do some science that it hurts your eyes, which yeah. probably does. But <laughs> yeah, but it's just not realistic in in our. It's just not realistic. So. No, and that's yeah. most of their most of my kids already eight and eleven, uh, and and it sounds like you're in a similar age group. Their homework is almost all on computers. Like they they don't have a choice but to be in front of a right, screen. Right, right. Well, and and my my older one did you know all through the last school year. He's now back in in real you know in in person school, but he was virtual all last year. So yes, he he's oh on yeah, the he's on the screen all day. But but so am I. I'm I'm working from home. So so am I. Right, right. Well, mo- just, most you know, most adults are nowadays. Right, right. So yeah, it's a interesting. Uh, it's a different world that he's growing up in versus what we grew up in. Well, I think there's always the nostalgia for the past that always, I do think, even from a science perspective, I think it holds us back just a little bit. Just every generation is always a little bit hesitant and wants to push back against change. And I think it does delay things scientifically. I I would think from actually rolling out, Mm -hmm. not substantially, but I think generationally people get uncomfortable with I mean, I, I think the best current example, I don't know how much you know about the technology behind it. Mm-hmm. Self-driving cars, I think, mm-hmm. would save thousands of lives every day uh, mm-hmm. because they don't make many mistakes, way less mistakes than humans. Mm-hmm. They're not perfect, mm-hmm. but humans are way not perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's the, I mean, you'll talk to a lot of people, even people my age, who will be like, no, I'm not trusting a computer to drive my car. I'm better than the computer. You're not, though. Yeah. <laughs> you think you right. are, but you're not. <laughs> so, and that's, that's the thing. I've thought about, I have thought about this, too. And actually, in, in when I took my, I did a master's in computer science, and one of the classes was uh, the AI for car, actually taught by the one of the guys who was one of the originators of that at Google. Uh, so it was really, really neat. But, uh, you know, thinking about that, uh, I love to drive. Yes, a computer might be better at me, but I love to drive. When we go anywhere as a family, I'm the one who drives. I drive. I love to drive. So it's really, it's more of the fact that it's just going to be hard to convince me, like, to stop doing something I love, especially I, I was never able to read in the car or do anything else. That's one of the reasons I love to drive because, like, what else am I going to do? Mm. But um, but honestly, it'd be great if self-driving cars became a thing so I don't have to worry about my kids driving. <laughs> right. I don't want my kids ever driving. <laughs> no. Exactly. Like, how do people let, like, 15, 16-year-olds drive? I mean, I did it, but how, how did my parents let me? And and when I started driving, there were no cell phones. My parents let me take a vehicle out into the world and had no way to get a hold of me. I can't like, imagine. I... All right. So I got my son a uh, a cell phone at eight years old because he's taking the bus when he goes from his mom's house to school. And the thought of him not having a cell phone was unimaginable. <laughs> And even yesterday, the bus was running an hour late, so he was able to call his mother and say, I'm going to be an hour late, or you can come get me. And it's like, we would have assumed he had died in a fiery bus crash if if it just came an hour late, but people... Not that long ago. <laughs> when we were kids, yeah. Like, if I was going to be late, so the first thing I had to do was find a payphone. I don't think my child knows what a payphone is. <laughs> no, I... In high school, I had to use a payphone if I couldn't get a ride home because I I lived close to the school. So mm-hmm. if I couldn't get a ride home, I had to use a payphone. Um, but yeah, no, I I tried to explain to my kids what a payphone was. I don't think they fully grasp the the concept of it, and I don't yeah. think there's any you can even show them. They do know what a phone booth is because we watched a couple episodes of Doctor Who. So they're like, yeah, we know what a phone booth is, right. but. Right. I'm like, yeah, it's right. the same thing. It's just they used to be in America. Right. right. Yeah, it is it is a, a really it is really weird watching my kids just grow up in a world that is so different from the world that we grew up in. So and, and I was a, so again, I think I'm about uh, maybe a little bit more than a decade older than you. So I was a, you know, child of the 80s. Um so I got my first cell phone 
like the year I graduated college in, in like I said, 97. So, and, but yeah, so I drove for almost a decade without it. <laughs> yeah, which uh, again, I, it's, and, and maybe our parents had the same fears, but just there was no way around it. <laughs> well, I, I think about that, but I think we're, we're still probably, still probably more similar in, in a lot of these ways, more similar to our parents than I think my childhood experience is still more similar to my, like say dad's childhood experience than my son's is to mine. And I think because of the technology, you know, cause again, like my dad went out my, we grew up, I grew up on Long Island and my dad grew up in the Bronx and my dad took the bus. He, he went to school in the city and he was riding the bus in the subway at a young age. And I was allowed to go in the city on the train, like, you know, when I was in high school, again, no cell phones, there are pay phones, you know, so they were like, so I think, yeah, I think we had more similar experience than my kid has to be because of just because of that. Yeah, probably just because the age when the technology became available to us was yeah. a little yeah. after the formative years, maybe. Yep. Yep. I mean, my child doesn't know a world without the internet. No. Well, and I, I always watch <laughs> a lot of old TV shows that I loved Mm-hmm. And like Seinfeld's a good example. I think they introduced a car phone later on in the series, but uh, and I don't know how familiar you are with Seinfeld, but I'm like a lot of these episodes <laughs> literally are defunct now because like well if they just had a cell phone this whole yep. situation this whole episode's eliminated. There's no yep. man. Uh, I watched Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, one of the best movies. I watched it with my kids, and the whole time they couldn't really grasp it because. <laughs> It was like they they had such a hard time with simple things like communicating mm-hmm. and paying because they didn't have cash because mm-hmm. they they lost their credit cards and and it's like nowadays it's like I've got this I I just scan this somewhere and and the money comes out of the air and pays for everything so yep. so, so I I. I sadly, I think a lot of our old cinema, as great as it was, is getting is getting ravaged by technological advances. Yep, yep. I, I can't, I can't disagree with that at all. I guess yeah. I, you could say the same thing for Star War, the original Star Wars. I guess too. Well, yeah, and, in a different you know, aspect of it. Right, right, and and that's, again, there, there's always going to be some of that, but it's just really just weird just to think about how how different everything is. Yeah. yeah, growing up, growing up in a world not knowing what it was like pre-internet, not knowing what it was like pre-cellphone. Those two things is just such a such a difference. Well, I I do I do stand up sometimes, and I have a joke I've been working on even where, and this is where I'll I'll get filthy, but even where it's like my kids will never know, my son will never know that it used to take like three minutes to download one naked picture on the internet. <laughs> now you can watch like a fifty-five minute video. In instantaneous, <laughs> but back then it was like, all right, I'm gonna have to wait a while. I hope no one walks in while this one still image is loading. <laughs> it's true. So yeah, even even 20 years ago, if you had explained where technology would have gone, I would think most people would be like, eh, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Although they also did, I remember learning that flying cars were going to be a thing. Uh. And in hindsight, that seems like one of the dumber ideas that we could have, because. Well, again, I think <laughs> if we it depend, if we turn it over to to you know automated technology to fly, you know, then then it's not it's not so crazy. If you yes, if you let the average person do it, it might be a little crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, my my thing with that is it's like yeah, but if you keep them on the ground, if there's a computer malfunction, it causes an accident, but the cars are. If you if they're in the air, like that goes through someone's house and blows yeah. up a block or something, yeah. that's a yeah. that's a pretty catastrophic. You've got to kind of be zero percent error. <laughs> yep. Well, even for self driving cars, I mean, like, right, the standard is is pretty a pretty high standard for like no problems or accidents or anything like that. But yeah, just okay, just a couple years before before this one turns <laughs> fifteen or sixteen, just a few years. Actually, it was a few years ago. He had even commented that he was hoping he didn't want to learn how to drive because it meant he wouldn't be able to read or play video games or do something in the car. Because like he oh. sees me driving and I'm driving and I can't do anything else, and he doesn't want to do that. Or at least a couple of years ago he didn't, you know. But I you're think I'm lucky. Still, 
Yeah. Well, I think I'm still the generation of like, you know, take away my car keys over my cold dead body. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, my, my daughter, I, I was arguing with her. She's like, when I'm 16, you have to let me drive. I'm like, first off, no, I don't. <laughs> Second off, uh, I'm hoping that cars will drive themselves and you won't have to learn how to drive. Right. So she, she has made her goal. She's now saving for a Tesla because that's reasonable for an 11 year old. <laughs> But hey, yeah, whatever. Save you. Go. Maybe cool. maybe I'll make some good financial habits. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good to have a goal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, it's it's a goal. <laughs> um, Adina, I've had a fun time talking to you. Um, I'll link everything in the show notes, but uh, I always want to give you a chance to tell everyone listening about uh, not only your your book but uh, your website. Anything else you want people to uh, to check out? Sure. Well, the, one of the best things or easiest things is just to go connect with me on Twitter because my handle is my first name, <laughs> A-D-E-E-N-A. Uh, that just tells you how long I've actually been on Twitter. <laughs> right. That had to be hard to get. <laughs> yep. Um, I was an early adopter, although I didn't use it for a long time, and, and I've only really recently been, been using it because I've, I've had a reason to now because I want to talk about science and my book and such. Um, but yeah, so if you're linking things, you know, my, my website is adinamignota.com, but spelling that, you'll just have to look at it. Yeah, <laughs> click the link. Be, don't try to spell it yourself. <laughs> right. Don't try to spell it. Don't try to spell it. You'll hurt yourself. Uh, and then the, the book is Crazy Foolish Robots. It's a humorous, meant to be humorous science fiction. So yes, robots are not going around killing each other or anyone else. Um, it's meant to be fun with uh, my, my main character, Ruby Palmer. She's 19. And first, she doesn't really like robots, but you know comes around after you know the shenanigans that they, they get into and this is meant to be the it's the first book out of a series of four um i'm i'm madly working on book two trying really hard to get up every morning to uh you know before work work on book two um and that's yeah that's about it <laughs> awesome well again I'll, I'll link that all so uh again don't don't try to guess the spelling or who knows where you'll end up i did think when i was l- looking at your stuff i did think you're you, your Twitter, I thought was a mistake. I'm like, there's no way she's at Adina. Right. That there's no way she got that. <laughs> well, I'm looking for them to open up the whole verification, you know, like the real ID verification thing again. To I want to prove that it really is me. But yes, um, no, I, I think if you look, it'll say I've had my account since 2007 or something like that. Oh wow, yeah, but I was, I think I was 2008 or nine, and I didn't use it for three, four years, but I just made one so yeah i probably couldn't get saint j mac if i if i tried at this point that would probably have to put a bunch of digits after my name um well i'm sure other other j macs may have encountered that (laughs) but adina thanks again i really appreciate it thanks for having me it's been fun All right. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I sure did. I feel like it was a nice mix of science and uh, science fiction. And really, the the they don't combine as much as maybe they should, it seems like. I don't know. Or... Uh, I, I don't know. Also, some, some educational things for kids. Uh, and uh, self-driving cars. And she also... Uh, supported uh at least the somewhat the theory of my planetary living being for the lower species um i do like her point it's a, a you know a single point of uh exposure <clears throat> so anyways hope you enjoyed it uh check out her book her website she's got a blog on there uh very fun to talk to her and, uh, hey, if you're not following me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, then, you know, could you please? Like, how much do I have to ask you? It's kind of sad at this point. I was going to make a joke, but I'm going to just leave this one be, because this seems like an episode that is uh, relatively wholesome, aside from me talking about sex dolls. But, you know... You get it. So. I don't think I have anything else to say. Uh, Listen, subscribe, follow all of those things. 
Adina's links are in the show notes if you want her book or you want to go to her website. Uh, And that's about it. That's it. That's all. Hope you had a ball. Uh, I might need to start a drinking game for every time I say, yeah, no, in an episode. Um, I didn't have to do much editing. I've never had to do much editing or listening to my own podcasts. But I will say that the few times I had to check because of uh, maybe some glitch all on my end in this episode for sure. Uh, that uh, made me stop and restart a recording. Uh, uh, background noise or phones ringing. That was my fault, by the way. <laughs> but uh, uh, any of those t- times I've had to go back and listen, I hear me saying, yeah, no, quite a bit. So maybe a shot every time I do that. I think that might be a thing. I've been trying to think of a drinking game. I feel like I've heard that at least a dozen times in the... I don't know. I don't even think I've listened to a dozen of my own episodes. Because I've been the episodes. So I don't need to listen to them. Uh, But... (laughs) Yeah, no... Uh, yeah, I, I do that a lot. So, now I'm cognizant of it because I caught it in this episode at least one time and I didn't listen, re-listen to very much of this episode because I didn't need to because I knew it was a great conversation. Uh, I, I hope I was not lacking too much in my science fiction knowledge. Uh, but I, I think I've got a you know, decent amount of knowledge. Uh, not nearly as much as Adina, but, you know, that's that's why she's the guest and I'm the, the dumb uh, host. <laughs> so, anyways, I hope you enjoyed it. I sure did. Uh, I will uh, see you all next week. Got some big shows coming up. And, uh, Thanks again for listening, folks.